You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Matt Walsh with you here for another episode as we look to get into the finals. I'm joined, uh, as always, by Neil Seawang up in Ballarat. Neil, uh, finals are upon us. Did you ever think we'd get here? Uh, yeah, I had my doubts, especially when, when all the, you know, what hit the fan, you know, early in the year and the, the whole, you know, all the sports world basically stopped for a couple of months. And yeah, I certainly thought that there was a chance that we were just going to write this year off and, um, you know, twiddle our thumbs for quite a while. But yeah, really, I guess it's a, a great sign that we can actually get the, the competition going. We're into finals and yeah, whether or not people see it as an asterisk year, I don't know, but you know, mm. I'm pretty excited that finals are here and, and we're into it. Well, not only are they here, but we're also going to have some pretty decent crowds throughout the series, Jake Michaels. I mean, you, you must have had your doubts at some times. I know that you're, you tend to lean to the pessimistic side of things, at least with Carlton uh, and how the Blues go, but uh, you must have thought that, that 2020 might have been a bit of an asterisk season at some point. Well, I'm a pessimist with everything in life, and uh, <laughs> this year was no exception. I mean, yeah, look, I think probably mid mid to late March was, I was sort of thinking, I think we probably all had a chat, that it's probably not going to happen. Um, the fact that we've got a season in, albeit a shortened season, but we're actually going to have a final series reasonably early in the year. Like, there was some talk that it could be even later. Um, so it's, it's not going to have a massive compromise on next year, which I think is good. And I don't see it as an asterisk year. I, I just see it as, you know... Just like any other year, the best team should come out on top. It's not like we've only played three or four games. We're still everyone's been able to play each other once, and I still I think ten, twenty years time, even three years time, we'll look back at this as this year, on this year, uh, and I don't think we'll we'll look at the Premier any differently to to any other year. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, you must be very happy a season got away because you would have been twiddling your thumbs for a, a couple of months there as as things were looking to get underway again. Yeah, there's a couple of um, yeah uncertain months there, but again, it's just one of the points Jake just made then, which I think the AFL deserves the most credit for. The, probably the biggest. I, I always had faith or confidence that we get a season in, even if it did go through to November, December. Um, I just thought there's no way everyone's going to play each other once. When they started moving to hubs and borders were closed, I thought, well, we're going to have a bit of a season where Frio might have to play West Coast three times, and that's okay. We'll, we'll get through it, but. To have every team somehow fixtured to play everyone once, I mean, that's probably reflecting over, you know, a football-free weekend. I thought that was probably the biggest tick I give to the AFL for the year, um, outside of all the other extraordinary work they've done to get the competition away, to actually get every team fixtured to play each other once. Um, exactly. I don't think there's too much of an asterisk against this season. Um, best eight teams have probably made finals, and now it's, yeah, find out which are the best two play grand final day. So looking forward to it. Yeah, all things considered, I think we do have uh, eight strong finalists or the strongest teams that we could have in there. So in terms of that, definitely no asterisk. And maybe that's a topic of conversation for another day in terms of whether a 17-game season is the way to go forward with each team playing each other once. Um, But we have plenty to talk about in terms of the actual finals that are coming. So why don't we jump straight into it, guys? Um, Christian, I'm going to throw straight to you because every year, whenever I'm watching uh, finals, whether it's in a press box, whether it's on TV, or, or just sitting around with my mates, um, the thing that I hear a lot is that, oh, geez, the pressure's gone up in finals and, oh, geez, they're tackling like a team possessed because it's the finals. I thought we'd explore today the idea of pressure in finals and tackling in finals and just how different it is to regular seasons and, and a few maybe quirky stats surrounding tackles uh, in general. So I guess what can you tell us about, firstly, I guess the difference between, if there is any, uh, between uh, tackling and pressure in, in the regular season compared to finals uh, and, and maybe some little bits and pieces uh, about that as well. 
Yeah, so each year there has definitely been a slight increase in what we call the match pressure factor in finals. So that's combining the two teams playing and sort of, you know, the combined pressure across the game. So usually across a home and away game, 180 is average. Um, I think we spoke about pressure before. It's sort of this arbitrary number if you don't understand the formula and all that goes into it. But we know that clubs aim for 200 because that's a big number and they know that they're, you know, right on their pressure if they get to 200. So 180 is usually um, a match average. Uh, across finals, so this is going back the last five years, it's been at 185 um, and consistently, you know, two to seven points high every year, the finals compared to the home and away season. So not not a huge jump, but definitely every year it slightly goes up. Hey, Christian. You, sorry. Question, question without notice. What's, what's, the, what's the reg or what, what's... So we're talking about going from like 200 to, two, you know, 180 to, to low 200s. What's the record for a game? Has there been like a grand final uh, where it's been 220 or something? No, I don't think it's a grand final. Usually a wet game, you'll see higher pressure. I know about, uh, again, off the top of my head, I think it's about 232. You know, I don't think we've got to 240. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, the most you can get in a game is 375. If every single time the opposition touched the ball, you tackled them, basically. So... Um, <laughs> There's, you know, there's a great variance, but yeah, I think, yeah, off the top of my head, it's about 230, 240. Uh, again, looking at average for wins across the last home and away season, it's 183 and for losses, it's about 179 or 180. So it's not a big variance across, and that's why we look at match pressure factor when sort of trying to determine because teams that put a lot of, put a lot of pressure on are going to receive a lot of pressure because their, their games are more congested. The players are all packed inside. Everyone's standing closer to a man. So when they get the ball, they're going to get tackled, but when the opposition gets the ball, they're ready to lay a tackle uh, and vice versa. Teams that, you know, play high kick mark style and try to like spread it around might have lower pressure factors in their game. Uh, someone like West Coast who won, you know, won a premiership with probably the third or fourth lowest pressure factor across the, across the competition because it's more, it's not so much about that one number. It's more about on the day, similar to contested possessions, are we just doing more pressure than the opposition? It doesn't matter if we're not putting too much on compared to a Collingwood playing you know, in a different game the same day, as long as we're out pressuring the opposition and when we, when we get the ball, we're, you know, avoiding pressure, uh, which is very much the way West Coast plays. Another question without notice. Um, has Champion Data ever thought about scaling the pressure rating for conditions or is that too hard? Like you said that wet games um, have a lot more pressure, obviously because the ball's in contested, uh, contested situations a lot more. Is there a way to sort of average it out for conditions or have you thought about doing that or is it just too hard? The the first question always comes back to is measuring the conditions and we've done a lot of studies. I know in the last two or three years, I know this year we're probably probably planning to do more and maybe COVID's probably put offline, but just sort of linking up, um, you know, through either a bomb website or, you know, Bureau of um, Meteorology website or something, because we don't, we don't have, we don't track conditions because it is, Mm. what is a wet game? Is it, if it rains at quarter time? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you get 10 mils of rain in a 15-minute period and it doesn't rain for the rest of the game. Is it wet? So it's something we've always struggled to track. So at the moment, no, we don't have that, um, basically because we don't track conditions of the game. So, um, But it is it's one of those ones where you just sort of, you, again, if you're looking at it across the round and you, you're a team and you're trying to look where you rank for pressure, it's something you would understand. Okay, these two games were played in the wet, so they're very high. But you see, it starts to look more at the differential of which team you know, actually out-pressured the opposition in those games and vice versa. But... Uh, no, conditions is a good question because conditions is something we've uh, struggled with um, continuously to sort of link in with the data. So sort of just um, moving on, I mean, even looking at the raw tackle numbers, so again, per team per game, there's 66 per team per game in the home and away season, um, 70 tackles per game during the final. So again, four 
tackles more per teammate. Yeah, one per quarter. Doesn't seem like a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doesn't seem like a lot, does it? It's not huge. So uh, while it does go up, yeah, it doesn't go through the roof. So again, but um, something yeah, we sort of did with Jake last week and for the ESPN piece, we did sort of quirky stats. So I've sort of taken that to the next level and looked at in terms of tackling. We all know now, with you know, banged on about it a bit across the year, what an effective tackle is and you've got to, you know, affect the disposal or stop a disposal from happening. Sort of, we also track sort of avoiding tackles. So, um, balks, um, breaking tackles, so bending off like Dustin Martin's famous for, um, winning tackles from free kicks. So, Joel Salwood, again, was probably famous for that, for sort of, you know, sliding down and getting the high tackle. So, again, just sort of wanted to touch on some of the numbers in terms of, you know, the what you know might want to call them quirkier stats, if you will, of around tackling. So, again, um, two sort of main ways, that, you know, recorded to miss a tackle is to be able to balk a player which is completely step around and, and get to the other side of them so again you may see someone sort of trying to step around but getting corralled or they never quite get around the run they get a free disposal away that won't count as a balk you have to actually get around them and into some space so again the numbers aren't high um so team wise gws had the most balks of any team they balked a team uh, a player 47 times across the season so you know it's two per game across um team and West Coast had the fewest at 21, so not even one, you know, or just just over one per game. Sorry, this year with 17 games rather than 22. Another um, question without notice, just sorry on that. <laughs> We're asking a few of these today. No, sorry. Um, so does that, do you, have a, do you have a stat for selling candy? Like I know that that sounds so pretty similar. It is, it basically is. I mean, we don't look at how you sell the book, but we do look at you clearly um, running, you know, in a fairly straight line at a player who's gone to tackle you and you've stepped around him and got into space. So again, whether you do that with the big selling candy of holding the ball in one arm and moving the hips the other way, or whether you just um, do a nice little Scott Pendlebury sidestep where, you know, he doesn't show the ball to the 80,000 people watching or whatever. So <laughs> and it won't count if, ways if, to do if it. you're touched by the, by the player on the other team. If they get a hand to you, so as soon as they get that. hands on you, that's where the next one comes in, which is your missed tackle. So again, if you do the same thing, they get a hand on you and you're out of brushing the side. Um, and again, that goes from varying degrees, whether they get a hand to your hip and you're able to step aside, that's now a missed tackle. Again, if you get away from their pressure or the big fend off, like we know Dustin Martin does, where the guy actually wraps him up with two hands and he just pushes off and pushes away from the tackle um, and gets away from that player again. So we, we count those as missed tackles or broken tackles for the positive. And again, they're, they're probably more popular. So Melbourne as a team led that with 124. Um, and Carlton had the fewest of that with 45, which again was 20 fewer than any other team. So it's not a stat we look at a lot. And there's probably not a lot you'd read into it. It's probably one small part of the game. But interesting to see, yeah, Carlton, and again, being a Carlton supporter and thinking back, besides Cripps, who does sort of, you know, get gets the ball in congestion, there's no other players I can think of that you would take on the tackler and be able to, push off, you know, Eddie Betts has got the, the fancy feet, Murphy's got a bit of that, Mark Murphy as well, but um, yeah, so again, as I said, just, and then you talk about Melbourne, the inside bulls, and I'm sure again, you know, good to have Neil as the, the Melbourne supporter on the podcast, but they, they lead the way 124, you know, almost 80 more than Carlton across the season, so they've got the Vineys and the Oliver, and they can actually, yeah, they push out of the pack and push their way through, Petrarca, obviously one of the leaders, so um, it's interesting with the with Dustin Martin because I think a lot of people do associate him with that player that can fend off and can get around um, opposition. But he's only had one balk for the whole year. Is that that's right, isn't it? Yeah. So that was again interesting when sent through the numbers. Um, 
you know, I just sent you through the leader, which we can go through now, which is Jack Bowes at Gold Coast had actually led for the season with 12. Jai Simpkin was next with 11. Florence with 10 was third at Sydney. Um, and, yeah, again, sort of Jake asked where Martin ranked. I was surprised he exactly only had the one balk, so he only got around, completely around an opponent. But he doesn't one. really balk, does yeah. he? <laughs> and, yeah, it made me, again, reflect on it. I can't picture him doing that much when I actually He fends off and, you know, or disposes of it, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, so he's had the uh, 23 broken tackles this year, which is the second most of any player. And this would be the first year he hasn't led the stats. So Jack Viney actually led broken tackles this year with 31, huh. uh, which was eight more than Martin. But going back the previous or five years, including this year, so 2016 onwards, Martin's had 229 broken tackles, which is 116 more than anybody else in the competition, which That's is incredible. Dangerfield at 113. <laughs> And Viney, who was his leader, at 106. So, again, it was almost watched him hurt. It was almost, there was, there was a few games where Buddy started to do it as well. Um, in about 2008, 2009, I remember sitting down and we always wanted to have that stat and just looking at it and trying to put the measure on. Did we want to measure the broken tacklers in Buddy getting the ball and being able to burst real? Do we want to measure the guy that missed the tackle? As in, he dropped off and whose fault it was? Well, we decided, well, it's pretty easy just to call who missed the tackle, because we know who has the ball. So Franklin has the ball. We call the guy that missed the tackle. So again, but you'd have to look at it individually to work out, was it because Dustin Martin was just too good or was it because the tackle was too soft or was it a mixture <laughs> of both? So Because not all of them are completely, oh, that's just the guy didn't try hard enough. Some of them are like, how did he get away from that? Which, you know, you've sort of seen a lot of players sort of uh, scramble their way uh, free from a tackle. So again, looking at... Um, the guys on the, the in the negative from that, so the missed tackle guys this year, the guys that had their tackles broken. A um, couple of surprising names for me. So Sam Powell Peppers had the most broken, 15, and Jed Anderson second with 14. Again, two very good inside ball winners, pretty strong players. Um, but yeah, just not stickling their, sticking their tackles as much as they probably like this year. Again, 15 what... for the whole year, and that's the most. Um, yeah, it's almost one a game. Still not, still not one a game. It's, it's not an outrageous amount, but... It, yeah, it's. I reckon that they're tackling. If we're looking at their pure numbers being high for broken tackles, I bet you they're both high for attempted tackles or tackles made as well. Like they're more. That stat's probably going to be skewed towards players who do a lot of tackling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So again, so looking at all this, and again, one of the things I've skipped over is you know the most free kicks won from being tackled and free kicks given away from being tackled. But looking at all those together, they wrap up to be again for team or player we can have a tackle efficiency. So for all those negative players, so. Every time you do get hands to a player, you'll get a physical pressure act or a missed tackle if you completely miss them or a free against. Uh, and then we sort of, you know, put that number with the effective tackles that we're actually called. And we can work out a tackle efficiency of every time you've attempted to tackle, how well have you done? So um, surprisingly, again, try to keep it to a minimum of 50 attempts. So I think there was about 174 players that at least attempted to tackle someone 50 times this year. Quite surprising top two again. Mark Blixar was number one at 83% tackle efficiency. Uh, Oscar McInerney, who had 57 attempts, so qualified in there, had 81% tackle efficiency for a Ruckman. And third was a name more likely seeing, Brad Crouch, who uh, was on the open market, 80% tackle efficiency. So, um, yeah, one of those midfielders, I think he had about 60-odd attempts as well. So, um a good tackling one. Again, on the flip side, the worst. It's always going to be, they're usually the smaller players and the more, um, the quicker players, if you will. But yeah, Ned McHenry for Adelaide, he had a 41% tackle efficiency. Uh, Ainsworth from Gold Coast, Ben Ainsworth from Gold Coast, 45%. Uh, 
And Ben Keyes was the next lowest, just over 50%, so 50.2% with his 105 attempts. So um, those are the guys, yeah, probably, again, um, always around the ball and always pretty good at putting pressure on, but, yeah, not bringing guys to ground or actually getting strong tackles applied. So One more question from me. Um, with all these numbers, they're obviously quite in-depth. Um, how are they recorded? Are they recorded as the game goes, or is this something that you guys go back once the game's finished and record all this sort of stuff? No, so there's there's a combination of two. So, again, the balks, missed tackles um, and tackles are all called live. So it's all called part of the players. I said we'll call Franklin, might get a handball receive, and then it's, you know, Talia, missed tackle, Franklin, kick long. So it's quite easy to call all that together. Um, and then we incorporate that with the secondary capture, which is pressure. And, again, they're about a minute or two behind. They're looking at every single disposal and recording all the pressure on it. So was he being chased? Was he being corralled, harassed, um, uh, sorry, closed down or physically tackled? So then they just label everyone physically tackled and then there's another call that's actually calling the tackles and they marry up. So it should be, if the disposal was effective and they've given a physical pressure act, we don't have to give a tackle because the disposal got away to an effective thing. Um, and then vice versa, if there's an ineffective tackle, they've given three pressure and the main caller hasn't given the tackle, then they've got to come together at quarter time and balance those numbers and say, well, he was physically touching him here. The disposal is ineffective. So we're either got to change the pressure to a lower level and physical or you've got to add in a tackle. Um, so again, yeah, it's a mainly pretty much done live. As I said, mm. one of our biggest things in our service is trying to have everything done 15, 20 minutes post-game for the coaches to sort of take out of the coach's box and they start analysing the game from then. So yeah, yeah, pretty much all done live. So stuff, um, stuff that a lot of people who uh, put multi, same game multis on might be interested in as well. Given uh, they, a, lot of, the, a lot of betting talk from you lately. <laughs> from me? Oh no, no definitely not. Um, I'm not a betting man myself. Uh, let's move on though, because we do have, as I said off the top, four really interesting finals. Because all four matchups, the teams involved in them have pretty interesting and storied finals histories. Like um, you know, Port and Geelong, obviously, and <laughs> 2007 isn't a, a year that a lot of Port fans would like to talk about. Uh, Brisbane and Richmond last year, St Kilda and the Dogs have had some famous games uh, about 10, 10 years ago or so. And, and West Coast and Collingwood obviously has a, a storied history in finals uh, over the last 20, 30 years. So plenty to get into. We might start off, we might go in chronological order, uh, Neil, and go with uh, Port and Geelong first, who are playing on Thursday night. This is an interesting one because during the year, the Cats defeated Power, uh, who have been top of the, the ladder all year by 10 goals in round 12. Uh, and uh, honestly, can you see the, the power somehow uh, turning around a 10-goal result to their favour, even if it is at home? Yeah, I can. Um, I think, I mean, there were so many, so many games this year that you know, one team, I think I remember um, the power entering that game with a four-day break. And there was quite a few occurrences this year of teams that should have, you, you expected more from them. They'd go in off the four-day break, especially if there's travel involved, and they'll just be completely flat for the whole game. Um, so, yeah, I give that, obviously the Cats were far too good um, that game, but I, I give Port every chance. I see the bookies have, speaking of betting talk, the bookies do have Port favourite, um, and that would be for a reason. So I think, you know, the Cats are every chance because they're playing great footy, but the power have been on top of the ladder all year. Yes, they had a really bad game against um, the Cats when they crashed, but I can I can see them them winning. I think I think they're their forward press game is really strong. 
Um, if they can get a bit more out of old mate Charlie Dixon, um, who had a probably his worst game of the year against the Cats that, that night. Um, and they, they're a little bit smarter with how they use him and, and maybe try and spread the Cats' defenders the, inside their um, defensive 50. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking Port will win this one. Jake, uh, two of the league's uh, best key forwards are going head-to-head. You've got Dixon at one end, as Neil said, and then Tom Hawkins, who, who won the Coleman medal at the other. Um, can you kind of see this being a game where you might see three or four goals from each of these guys, or is it going to come from more of a, a midfield or team or small effort? I mean, where do you sort of see this game heading? Well, it was interesting because last, the last time these two sides played, it was built up as the battle between these two guys and Dixon couldn't get anywhere near the ball. I mean, the, his teammates didn't really help him. The ball didn't live in the forward line too much. And Hawkins played really well. And, you know, if Hawkins, I think he might have kicked five or six goals in that game. So if, 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 if he has a similar sort of performance, which we obviously know he can, he's, he's just about the strongest guy um, in the game when he's one-on-one. On one. Um, in the forward line, on the lead, he's he's so strong, and then you and then you factor in how accurate he is around goal. Yeah, he could be the difference. Um, but having said that, Port didn't get anything out of Dixon last time. So if they can get you know a couple of goals out of him, I think they need to. I think they have to get a, a bit more out of him. I think Geelong can win it if Hawkins kicks one or two. I don't think Port can win if Dixon only kicks one. Interesting, um, Christian. I mean, you've you've probably looked at the stats. Uh, heading into this game more than more than we have. Is there anything that sort of stands out to you uh, that could be decisive for this clash on Thursday evening? No, I mean, it's it's an interesting clash in terms of it's the two best scoring sides in the competition, but they sort of do it with because they're so good defensively and so good at strangling the opposition. Um, they're not, you know... I mean, Port are probably a bit more free-flowing than Geelong play. Um, um, very much Port lean towards trying to lock the ball in their forward half and sort of just you know, play as much as they can there, whereas Geelong are much more measured. Um, but again, just touching on their, the last time they played, I think there's always a game or two, um, especially for the top side, where you sort of just throw out the window. I feel like Geelong was one again. They came off a very short break for that game. Um, and just looking at the first quarter, I think it was, I mean, they're probably lucky Geelong was a bit inaccurate. I think it was two goals four to one point, or two goals three to one point at quarter time. But Again, the clearances were just eight to two in that first quarter, uncontested possession, 70-37. So they were just jumped um, in that game completely. Second quarter, they're actually outscored by a point because Geelong kicked two straight and Port kicked one five. So they almost got themselves back into the game. Um, but again, third quarter they sort of were only slightly beaten by you know a couple of goals. And then in the fourth quarter, they just they just didn't get near it. And I think Tom Hawkins almost kicked three or four of his goals in the final quarter. So again, looking at that last game. Geelong were able to win the inside 50s in all four quarters in that game against Port Adelaide, and they're the only team to do that. So most teams haven't done it more than once or twice against Port Adelaide. So it's something Port Adelaide pride themselves on winning that territory. Mm-hmm. Geelong were just able to completely smash them. So again, um, you know, if you're looking for a side for this one, if Geelong are in front at half time with an inside 50 lead of 10 or 15 and they're dominating that territory, then Port will be in trouble again. But I don't think we'll see another repeat of the round 12 game with just Geelong's dominance from early on. Do you have a, a winner and a margin for us? Um, again, got to go with the top team. I, I go Port Adelaide. Uh, yeah, ten points, less than two goals. Neil, you said uh, you said the power. How much? Yeah, power? power by seventeen points. And Jake, uh, I'm going to go Geelong by seven points. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I've been hot on the Cats all year, and 
Uh, I think I'll tip them by 12 points uh, and, and see how they go. Uh, the next game, uh, Friday night, Brisbane and Richmond. I mean, geez, the Lions are... <laughs> for a team that finished second on the ladder, they must be pretty upset that they've uh, somehow drawn the Tigers, uh, a bogey team in recent times, Jake. Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember I was, I was at the Gabba last year for, for that qualifying final and there was so much hype with, um, with the Lions, uh, and rightly so, and... They just can't. They just can't beat the Tigers, and and not only that, they just can't keep it competitive. And, and the times that they have looked like they can win, they've let themselves down in front of goals with just really, really poor um, goal kicking. So <laughs> while it's easy to look at the stats and say that they're not going to win, it's going to be another Tigers uh, Tigers win. I don't know. I, I'm 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 bullish on on the Lions this time around. I, I feel like they're not not necessarily due for a win, but I think that. As I've said on this podcast before, I think you can quite easily turn goal-kicking accuracy around. I wouldn't be surprised if they just nailed their, nailed their shots, those 50-51s went their way. Um, and I think the loss of Lynch, Tom Lynch for the Tigers, is important. Um, you know, Jack Rio has been a little bit inconsistent. Um, all of a sudden, he's the only man there. And Dustin Martin, will he spend a little bit more time forward as well? Um, I think there's a few question marks still with the Tigers, and I like the Lions in this one. They get Harris Andrews back too, which is a big in. Uh, would have been nice to see Andrews and Lynch go head-to-head, that's for sure. But um, there's a lot of pressure on the Lions, Neil. Like Compared to last year where they had such a great year and won so many games, and, and it was sort of almost like a throw, throw down the door, throw open the doors and just sort of let them play in finals. And, and they came away with two losses. But this year there's a lot of pressure because it's the second straight year they're going to host a qualifying final uh, against the Tigers. Um, and the grand finals in Queensland this year, like they, they could play off in a home grand final. One of the rarest things you could possibly come across for an interstate team. Like the pressure is going to be right up there. The pressure is, it's a real double-edged sword, isn't it? They've really been gifted the opportunity to, to play at home for nearly all the whole season. And obviously the, all the finals that they'll play if they win will be, um, and then if they make it through to the grand final, they'll be playing, you know, a very rare um, grand final in their, in their home state. So all the cards are, are falling their way, which, they should be really excited about taking advantage of, but you're right. There is pressure there. They might be thinking, gosh, if we can't do it this year, you know, how are we going to be able to do it any other time? So interesting that Jake spoke about the fact that he, he wouldn't even be surprised if they um, nailed all their shots and then gained a lot of confidence from that. My concern is almost a flip side of that. What happens if they dominate again mm-hmm. in that, the early part of the game and they keep zero goals, four or one goal, six and, all those little demons in the back of their head, you know, from the fact that they've played really well against Richmond the past couple of times and just haven't been able to put them away. That's, that's a valid point. It's a valid yeah. point. They're going to have to start well. As you say, if, if, they, they, if they go into a quarter time, one goal five or, you know, something like that, it could get really ugly. But if they start well and they can yeah. nail a, a few of those 50-50s, it was those 50-50s they were missing. If they can nail a couple of them in the first quarter, take mm. the lead. Because in that the last... 12 months ago, they should have won that game. They I mean, they, done, they, lost yeah. by, they lost by a considerable margin in the end, but it was that first half where they missed so many chances. And people forget um, about that because they see the end margin, yeah. but they don't, yeah. they, they don't remember the fact that it should have been game over to Brisbane halfway through. So yeah. that's, the, that's the two biggest numbers I've looked at. So that preliminary final, uh, sorry, qualifying final we talked about last year was 25 scoring shots for Brisbane. Uh, and when they lost to them earlier this year, 21 scoring shots to Brisbane. So... Again, we talk about accuracy and the demons and the mental side. The thing is, Brisbane's had the most shots at goal of any team this year. So 
that's a tick for me. As long as you can keep getting those shots, you can't you can't worry about the accuracy. You're not going to chain. You're not going to try to find a better shot or start trying to find you know goals from closer in. Um, you know, as I said, they're, they're getting the most shots a goal. They got the seventeenth. You know, the accuracy seventeenth was so the second worst in the competition. But you can't change anything now. You just got to keep having those pot shots. Like whether you win because you kick five more behinds than Richmond and win by five points, I don't know. But again, when We'll talk about the exact same thing just within our department meeting this morning of what, what do Brisbane do with the goal-kicking demons? You, you can't do anything, can you, but just keep getting those shots on goal, which, which they're getting. So Exactly. you got to persist. And, and if, you're, if you're getting 20 scoring shots two games in a row against the Tigers, there's not many teams that are doing that. So eventually, if you can continue doing that, it'll turn. And that's what, that's what I, I believe. I don't think you'll always be missing those shots. It will turn. It's a fascinating part of footy, but it, and especially for this game, is... Does Chris Fagan and the, the hierarchy at Brisbane say exactly what you guys have been saying? Just keep on having the shots. You know, the, the law of averages, you know, will, will work out in your favour eventually. Hopefully it's this game. Or you'd love to know whether they've actually been doing a lot more goal kicking in the lead up to this final. Like, you know, like a soccer team that keeps on crashing out at penalties because they keep missing. Do they pretend that it hasn't happened and that they should be right? Or do they actually practice penalties before these knockout games? Well, you'd like to think that they're actually taking more shots and practicing. I you mean, every, so. every club should be doing that regardless of, mm. of how effective you are around goal. But I, I, I go back to what Christian said. I, I mean, you can't really change. They're doing everything right except yeah. that last little bit. It just happens to be the most important bit. But <laughs> it can. It can turn. You know, a 30-35-metre uh, set shot on a slight angle, you know, if you miss three of them and in in one game but then you kick three of them well that's good that's the difference between winning a game and losing it and i think that's where they are at the moment they get the, the crucial part is they're getting 20 scoring shots a game against the tigers no one else is really doing that consistently it's just such a fascinating i think this is probably for me the most fascinating matchup of the weekend yep. just purely because of the recent history these teams have had not just like the the overall history but the recent history um obviously 41 points to the tigers in round 10 this year uh, and the qualifying final last year as you said jake but the Lions are undefeated at the gabba this year um, which, which is just adds another layer to it. Uh, and the fact that they actually, the Lions actually haven't beaten the Tigers at the Gabba since I think 2004, there's another layer to it. So the layers are there. And, and for me, I'm going to give, I think the Lions might win this though, for five, maybe five points. Jake, do you have a, a winner and a margin? Yeah, I'm going to go the Lions too. And I'm going to go the Lions by 33 points. I think Ooh. they're going to win, oh. win well. They're going to kick really straight then. Wouldn't that be something? Huge. Uh, Neil. Well, well, if we're going, if we're, if, sorry, if we're going to go with how what we're talking about, if they're going to be accurate and they're getting that many shots, they're going to win by a decent margin. They're either going to win by a decent margin or they're going to lose by a decent margin. I feel I'm going to take them to win. Neil. Yeah, I, I think they'll win as well. It's interesting that the bookies have Richmond favourites, um, considering that Richmond qualified lower and they're playing on Brisbane's home deck. But I think Brisbane will win as well. I think they. You know, whether or not they can nail all their shots, I just think that they're playing great footy. I think you know the the, the Tom Lynch factor for Richmond is you know that's not absolute, no, that's a, yeah. a pretty big deal. So Brisbane by eleven points. Christian, are we all mugs for backing the lines? No, I'm probably with you. Probably I'll, again, <laughs> I'll go with a slightly higher margin. I'll go with Jake, but twenty-one points or so for for Brisbane. I just think yeah, they, they could hopefully yeah open it up and get those kicking boots on and kick a high score. Yeah. No one going the Tigers. <laughs> um, we'll move on to the next game, the Saints uh, and the Bulldogs. I mean, for two teams that have 
had uh, skint, a skint number of opportunities in finals. Uh, they've played a couple of crackers, especially over the last maybe 10 to 15 years, the back-to-back prelims in 09 and 10. And, and now we've got them playing off in an elimination final. The first time the Saints have been in, in, in well, I was going to about to say September, but in finals since 2011. And the Dogs, obviously, from their highs in 16, have sort of uh, taken a little bit of a dip before they've obviously uh, reset. The Saints wanted the Gabba, Christian. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. The Saints wanted to play at the Gabba because they were, it was threatened that they would have to go to Adelaide Oval, but they've got the Gabba. And looking at the stats, it might work out for them. It does. It seems to have worked out for them quite nicely. So just this year alone, they've played six games there, 3-3 three, three record, so 50% nothing to sort of write home about. But their opponents, the Bulldogs, they only got the one game there this year, and it was against Brisbane, and they got smashed, so 0-1 record. And then looking at the past decade, St Kilda, 11 matches at the Gabba, 7-4 record. Bulldogs, seven matches there, one and six. So Mm. um, don't like travelling there. Again, we know the period I've looked at, 2010-2020, Brisbane weren't the strongest team. So they didn't have the, you know, they they were better at the Gabba, but they weren't stronger. So for a 1-6 record for the Bulldogs, um, yeah, it looks like St Kilda slightly uh, found a ground with home ground advantage um, and the right opponent for it. So... But again, looking at this final, one worry for me is the other three finals, we could see aggregate scores of 70, 80 points, 90 points. And I fear for that. This is the one final that gets me excited that there could be a little bit of scoring. Um, so the number, the top two teams for going from back half to forward half with ball movement, Bulldogs number one, St Kilda two. Um, none of them really rank in the top eight or nine for anything defensively. So they don't pride themselves on being, you know, stingy in defence or locking up the defensive 50. So, yeah, the, the one hope I have for this final is, yeah, we might see a team kick. We might see two teams kick 10 goals each in a final. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the other three are quite low scoring, though. Well, the Saints defeated the Dogs by 39 points in round two. Funnily enough, that's the smallest margin um, between the two teams that are playing over the, the four finals because, the, as I said, the Tigers defeated the Lions by 41, Cats defeated Port by 60, and West Coast defeated Collingham by 66. Um, so the, that, that was the smallest margin between these two teams. But, but as you say, they play entertaining brands of footy. And this might be the game to watch, Neil, if you're a, if you're a neutral looking for some, uh, some open football uh, with, as, as Christian said, potentially some high scores. How far, I don't want to be a negative Nancy here, but how far we, we've dropped it with our expectations of attacking footy when Christian says, wow, <laughs> it could be 10 goals each in a final. I mean, you know, I know we are, we've talked... We are playing shorter, shorter quarters. <laughs> yeah, so extrapolate that out, what it might be like 12 goals each. I know we've talked ad, ad nauseum over the past about the state of the game and whatnot, but um, that aside, I'm looking forward to this one too as a... As a as a neutral, the storylines behind the, um, both clubs, obviously the Saints haven't tasted success in such a long time um, and the Doggies have got you know, 2016 to hang their hat on. Um, but I, I say the Dogs winning this one pretty comfortably. I think their midfield's going to be far too strong. Um, they're probably one of the best you know, group of inside contested ball winning uh, midfields in the competition. I think the Saints are still a little bit light on through the midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see the dogs just smashing them, smashing them out of the centre and just pouring a lot of pressure on in their forward half. Um, so I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm, uh, you know, I'm in, engaged and entertained all the way through. But I reckon it might be a pretty easy win for the Bulldogs. Uh, very interesting. I was, I was thinking the same thing because the Bulldogs, not only are they probably more experienced in finals, which counts for something, surely, um, but they're also probably a, an older and hardened and more mature team than the Saints. I mean, you look at some, some of the excitement that is coming out of St Kilda on, on, on a few of those lines. You know, Rowan Marshall playing his first final. Max King, I'm really excited to see what he can do. 
Uh, and, and some of these other players, you sort of see Jack Steele playing his first, I think it's his first final. I don't think he played one at the Giants. Um, and there's plenty to be excited about, but the cauldron of finals is a, is a different atmosphere. Uh, and Neil, I think you're right. I'm going to back the dogs in this one by maybe 10 to 12 points. Yeah, well, I, I'll go a bit further than that. I reckon the dogs might win by six goals. I think it might be reasonably Ooh. one-sided. Christian, you've uh, looked at the stats. Where are you, where are you heading? Yeah, again, we're getting a bit boring on this pod, but probably Bulldogs, yeah, 14, 15 points. Interesting. And Jake, have you got a prediction for us? No, no. What we got you there, Jake? Technical difficulties. <laughs> the wonders of Zoom. We can hear you very slightly. I'll pump you up in post. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'll have to talk louder, which um, is... Shouldn't be too hard for yeah. you. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll, I'll take the dogs as well. I think uh, McRae, Bont, Hunter was brilliant in their last game. Bailey Smith. Uh, I think the midfield will get on top. And, yeah, I'll take the dogs as well. Uh, Fair. Three goals. Fair enough. All right, moving on to the final game from the weekend, uh, West Coast and Collingwood. Jeez, you want to talk about sort of storied histories in finals. Um, this, this, sort of, this might be the best rivalry, Neil, that we've seen since West Coast and Sydney back in the early 2000s. I mean... Recently, the 2018 grand final, there was that drawn or extra time semi they had in 2007. The three finals in between those. There was a draw in 1990 as well. I mean, this is, uh, this, is, well, this is up there with one of the best rivalries in Australian sport, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. They're probably the best modern day rivalry right now in, in AFL, especially we're looking at the, the finals history, as you said. I mean, all things point to a West Coast win being at home. Um, and the, the, fact, the fact that they dismantled Collingwood pretty easily at home you know, earlier in the year. Their, their game style really suits um, that ground, and, and they, they've got a lot of big-name players back this week. So I, do. uh, I, don't give, I don't give the Magpies no chance here. I've probably worded that incorrectly. My English teacher <laughs> from primary and, and senior school will probably be fuming at the way I've, I've uh, put that sentence together. But I give them a little bit of a chance just because they've got enough star power to drag him over the line, the Pies. Um, you know, Trelaw, Adams, Pendlebury, um, Dugowie, uh, Grundy, they, they do have match winners and they might be able to, if they have days out, but I, I think the West Coast system is superior to Collingwood's system and I think they'll, they should win through the, the Eagles. I mean, Christian, is there a way that the Pies can turn around a 66-point loss uh, from earlier in the year in, in round eight when they, when they met at Optus Stadium? Yeah, it was the, it was the one game that hurt Collingwood's, you know, defensive sort of presence and numbers. So, again, I sort of touched on it a couple of weeks ago, but they're, they're points against the top eight teams in the other game. So, Port, they conceded 61 points too, which is about, you know, 17 fewer than their average. Brisbane, uh, they conceded 42. St Kilda, 37. Richmond, 36. Bulldogs, 34. Geelong, 57. Uh, and then they go out against the Eagles and it was 111 points they conceded. So, again... It, Collingwood haven't won in a blowout, you know, with a high score this year. They've had seven wins with 10 or fewer goals um, to their name and only twice have the Eagles been beaten with someone kicking 10 or fewer goals this year. And one of those was Brisbane who beat the Eagles with 10 goals, 14. So we spoke about Brisbane getting the, the volume of scoring shots on the board, just not the accuracy. So again, a little bit of um, good versus evil or attack versus defence. The only, to me, the only way Collingwood's going to win this is if it's a low scoring scrap. Um, and, you know, that their, their winning score is probably going to be a target of 50-60. Uh, anything higher, it's, it's looking it's like it's going to be in West Coast favour. Um, and, again, 
being back at Optus Stadium, it's it's where they it's where they've played their best footy this year, and it's the one game where they again they, they got Collingwood. Um, I can't see him turning it around enough to sort of get over the line this week, Collingwood. Well, you look at the 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 possible ins for the Eagles: Jeremy McGovern coming back from a hamstring injury, uh, Skipper Luke Shuey coming back, Redden could come back, Jeddah could come back, Hutchings Cripps could come back. Uh, Josh Kennedy had an ankle scare, but they think he's going to be fine. Jake, uh, surely the Pies are just going to have to str- are going to have to struggle and, and make this a scrap, as Christian said. Can you hear me now? I, uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> we can, we can hear you. Yes, oh, can you hear beautiful. us? I can hear you. Excellent. Um, yeah, I actually remember that game. Um, it was just about the best I'd seen anyone play to that point of the year. West Coast against Collingwood early in the year. They were brilliant that day. And I think you're right. I think with all the players coming back, they're going to potentially coming back. We, we don't know who's going to play yet. Um, they're going to be hard to beat. Um, but if you're asking me for a winner, I'm going to take Collingwood by <laughs> four points. I, I think Collingwood can, can cause a real upset here. Um, I think they've got the players to do it. Um, Obviously, it was they didn't play well when they, they met them previously. I think all signs are pointing to, to West Coast. I uh, certainly wouldn't want to be putting a lot of money on the, on the pies here, but I don't mind them. I think they got the midfield to do it. And I think someone like Jordan Degoe needs to have a really real standout game. Mason Cox waiting- needs to contribute. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think they can do it. I, really I was waiting think. for you to mention Degoe. Well, he needs to fire again. <laughs> he does look... I mean, he's the... He, one quarter of Dagoe magic, and and you know he can actually turn a game on its head. So he can, he can kick three and a quarter, and he can he can be the difference. He can spend the, you know four or five minute period into the midfield, a couple of centre bounces. You know we've seen Jamie Elliott do it a lot this year for the Pies. I I really want to see Dagoe go into a few more centre bounces because he's got that explosiveness and that burst. He can win those clearances, mm. uh, get the ball in quick, and give Cox a chance one on one rather than you know in a big pack where he's not gonna he's gonna struggle a bit more. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I really do think that they can cause a big upset here, particularly because we don't know who's playing for West Coast yet. Yeah, we, there's players that could come back, but are they going to come back too soon? Are they not going to come back at all? We don't know who's going to be playing yet. Um, we've got a pretty good idea who's playing for the Pies. And mm. yeah, I think there's, a, there's some good form there. Trelaw got a couple of games back in him. Pendlebury playing well. Taylor Adams, career best year. Um, it'd be nice if they had still side bottom in there mm. as well, but, uh, but, I, but I think they can do it. Uh, Neil, do you uh, agree with Jake and, and think there's another uh, chapter of this well now now famous rivalry rivalry to be written? Yeah, I think it could be a really cracking game. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be brave enough to tip the pies, but I think um, as I stumbled over previously, I, I'll give them a, a, a chance of going, you know, pushing them, you know, quite deep. I think if I'm going to give a, a prediction, I'll say West Coast, but it might only just be a goal, goal and a half. Christian, uh, yeah, West Coast for by. 27, 28, I think this will be the biggest margin in a final. Uh, it's just, yeah, my call. Fair enough. Uh, I'm probably in between where Neil and Christian sits, maybe the Eagles by uh, 18 or so points. She's uh, looking forward to them though, uh, guys, because as I said, they're, they're four finals with four interesting stories with them. Uh, let's move on. Just a couple of maybe more general questions about the finals uh, before we get into justified hype or hyperbole later on. Jake, I think you've answered it, uh, the first question for us, but... Uh, Christian, who is the, which is the team most likely to cause an upset uh, in the first week of the finals? Again, it's just, yeah, what, what do you define as an upset? I mean, you know, Geelong are... 
according to us, we all think Brisbane's going to win, and that's that's an upset. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no way you can just look at the numbers and say it's going to cause an upset. But again, Geelong for me, I think when we spoke about it, Port um, don't get a lot of love, but for a team to go number one on the ladder for 17 rounds, if they got beaten in the first week of finals, it'd probably be considered a bit of an upset. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it's hard to answer. Though. I mean, all four, all four finals look to be, you know, they got probably, you know, a 60, 65% favourite in each of them. Um, probably St Kilda Bulldogs is probably the hardest one to sort of pick a clear favourite. But yeah, for me, it's, it's probably Geelong or yeah, a great chance to beat Port Adelaide. But whether you consider that being the biggest upset or not, I'm not too sure. I haven't, yeah, haven't looked at the odds for the, the games either. Fair enough. Neil, you think uh, there's a, a clear upset candidate there in those, well, those four? Without going around in circles, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at the odds and the fact that Brisbane are outsiders and I think Brisbane are going to win. So for me, that's, that's the most likely upset. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And Jake, you're on the Collingwood bandwagon, obviously. Yeah, I still think Brisbane's probably the best chance of an upset. Again, according to what the odds are right now, but mm. I, I do like Collingwood's chances at their price. All right, uh, gents, Neil, I might start with you. Which player are we most looking forward to watching in the finals this year? There's so many, isn't there? Uh, I, I love a list watching... of three. <laughs> Your list, list of three. I'll try and narrow it down. <laughs> my, my, what I love watching is first game, well, not first gamers, but people playing their first finals and seeing mm. how they react. Um, and you mentioned, um, I think, Max King um, and on the opposition team, Bailey Smith. So... The two absolute young stars uh, that that have performed so well for their teams. I can't wait to watch those guys um, and see how they handle the heat, I guess, in, well, I was going to say in September, but... Uh, <laughs> in September, I've fallen into that trap so many times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those two, especially, I'll be keeping a close eye on the Saints-Bulldogs game. That's a, a very nice left field nomination. Jake, do you have uh, a player that is a must-watch for you in the finals? Do you want well, to go? <laughs> I close. I mentioned him just before, and uh, it might only be one final, but I think it's Taylor Adams. I think his year's been exceptional. He's a finals-type player. He was probably best on ground in the the grand final uh, up until the last quarter when West Coast got the job done. Uh, I reckon he's going to have a massive say in it. And he has to, if Collingwood's any chance of winning, he has to play an enormous game. And I think he can. He's tackling his his work in tight, um, feeding the ball out to, to... players like Trelaw and Pendlebury. I think he, he's going to have a big game, massive game. Christian, uh, someone we need to keep an eye on this week upcoming. Uh, mine's probably a bit of an obvious one, but Dustin Martin. I mean, <laughs> up in finals. It's almost like the harder the opposition tries, the better he plays. So, you know, through the home and away, sort of sometimes looks like he's just cruising around and doing his own thing, but you know, he's still, um, still being players hands down. But yeah, come finals time, we've seen some... Uh, Three of his last five finals have been some of the best games in him. So, again, it's probably an obvious one, but um, one that always comes to the front of mind when finals are about to start. It's very funny because I had Dusty underlined three times just because it's, it's quite obvious, isn't mm-hmm. it, really? And, and Neil, um, as you said, I mentioned Max King before and he was another on my list of three. But going uh, in a similar vein, Neil, about um, players playing their first final, this is a bit left field, but Tom Rockliffe, after 204 games, yeah. <laughs> is playing his first final uh, for the power. So... This is really his big opportunity to sort of, I guess, for everything to have culminated to this moment. I just, I really want for his sake for him to have a big game and, and go well. Uh, and I think that he is one to surely watch. Um, I mean, surely he gets selected uh, heading into this week. So Tom Rockliffe, I guess, for mine is, is, is a player to watch for sure. I like that one too. And, I, you know, 
us being Melbourne and, and Carlton fans on this podcast, you, you, you talk about your Nathan Jones or Kate Simpsons who <laughs> taste no, pretty much no success through their career. And it's really heartwarming to see blokes who are really in the latter stages of their career finally get to the big stage and, and have a crack and see what it's like. Yeah, so he, he was on my shortlist too. I can't wait to see how he goes. Um, excellent. Let's move on. Next question, Jake. I'll start with you. Let's whip around quickly with this one. Uh, in as few words as possible, your Premier and Norm Smith medalist. And we can come back after the grand final and see how we all did. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to go Geelong and I will go Cam Guthrie. Cool. I, reckon, I reckon Cam Guthrie is going to have a big, big uh, last day in not September. <laughs> be a big year for him, winning the flag and getting an All-Australian nomination and the Norm Smith medal. Mm. Yeah, uh, he's, he's playing well. Yep. Uh, Neil? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Port. Best team in the home and away season. I think they'll, they'll win through to the grand final. I think they, they can win the flag in a pretty open race. And Robbie Gray, big game player. <sighs> Jeez, that'd top off his career nicely, wouldn't it? Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Jake's getting excited over there. Robbie Gray's well, one of his favourites. Well, he'd, he'd definitely be going ahead of Warren Tread, right? <laughs> <laughs> we did have that debate earlier in the year about uh, Port's uh, goat. Uh, Christian, uh, a Premier and a Norm Smith medalist. Uh, yeah, all right, Brisbane, sort of playing at home at the Gabba. Um, second best to a minute, but yeah, I'll, I think they might win it. And again, uh, yeah, probably I think Dane Zorko will win Norm Smith. A lot of people are saying how unlucky Lockie Neal was. Oh, that's a big call as well. Two of Jake's favourites have been mentioned. Uh, Lockie Neal being one of them. Uh, my premier, I think the Cats. I think even if they don't win this week, the double chance helps them and they, and they might get a, another crack. And this is, as I said, one of their the last years with the, uh, the current list demographic to make a really big slat, uh, splash. Uh, so I think the Cats will be the premier. And I think the Norm Smith medal, I'll play the percentages and say Paddy Dangerfield uh, might be an easy one. It'd be, um, it'd be a nice... We talk about, you know, the, the difference between Dusty and, you know, his contemporaries like Fife and, and Danger... The fact that Dusty's performed on the biggest stages and, and won team success. Mm. Um, so it'd be kind of nice for Danger to, to get that in the twilight yeah. of his career. Would be well-deserved as well. Um, we spoke about this earlier with the, with the tackling and the pressure stuff, Christian. But, uh, and, and Jake, we had that yarn come out on ESPN.com.au about the quirky stats from the season. Is there anything that, that jumped out that we want to mention on the podcast? I know that there were some really interesting uh, bits and pieces that we've noticed throughout the 2020 home and away season. But is there anything quirky we want to mention before we move on? There were some really interesting ones. Uh, a lot of the data Christian sent through to me earlier in the week, uh, last late last week, sorry. And um, one of the ones I'll let him I'll let him give the names, but was the um, who had the most first disposal of a match, um, and, and just some some interesting answers here. Yeah, so I can't remember number one off the top of my head. I think it was Hugh Green. What is getting the numbers up in front of me now? But second was the one for me. It's um, Again, just one of those stats. You, you never look at it until someone asks. <laughs> you know, it's not something you sort of monitor each week. But Scott Lysette uh, had the first disposal in the game six times out of his 13 matches, I think, he played. So <laughs> I haven't gone back and watched all six of them, but I would assume maybe three or four of them are just first, you know, ruck free kicks at the centre bounce or something. But uh, interesting name to come up in any leading disposal category, I would have thought. Well, almost a 50-50, so it's uh, <laughs> pretty good. There were some interesting ones, uh, like the, the Tom Hawkins hit the post more than any other than any other player. Probably not surprising, given that he won the Coleman medal. Brisbane hit the post more than any other team. Probably not surprising. Given no, that's not talking surprising. About their, their goal-kicking accuracy. But again, you hit it in the post, you, you're pretty close to <laughs> kicking that goal. 
Uh, and Brisbane had the most out on the fools of any team for the for the year. So um, there were some really interesting uh, stats and, and unusual names that that uh, popped up in that. The list. one that caught my eye, Jake, was who the players that had given away fifty the most times. <laughs> who was it? Was it Melksham? And Brandon Ellis Brandon and, and Jesse Hogan. Hogan. Yeah. So Hogan. Hogan had given the third most away, but it only played about five games. So <laughs> he's given he's... a fifty-meter penalty away every seven quarters. Hothead <laughs> <laughs> Hogan. I couldn't believe that one. <laughs> the, the, the other one that caught my eye was someone we've mentioned is Travis Boak being a chance to win the Brownlow, and he's actually the most interchange player for the yeah. year with a hundred and eight mm. off move. So since so, so, Sort of said to Jake, hopefully that doesn't hurt his uh, chances on Brownlee night. But he's coming off basically twice a quarter. It's it's a lot to be coming off. It's uh, worth reading that piece if you haven't. It's um, yeah. spn.com.au slash AFL. It's, it's sitting up at the top there. Absolutely. Um, some of the some of those quirky stats that you don't really read in the match reports or online or whatnot, they're, yeah, they're real eyebrow raising. And some of the names in there, you just sort of think, wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's finish off, guys. Uh, justified Hype or Hyperly. Uh, our favourite segment where I uh, say a statement and you guys will tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. I know we've covered, uh, I guess, the results of these upcoming finals uh, a lot, but the top two teams on the ladder, being Port Adelaide and Brisbane, will both lose this week. Is there anyone game to say that that hype is justified? Uh, well, there, yeah, it can happen for sure. I don't think anyone... Would anyone be surprised if they both lost? I don't think so. No, that's fair. But will it happen? Can and will. This is our favourite sort of... <laughs> yeah, the nuances no. between can and it will. It, it won't happen because then if I said it would, I've already gone back <laughs> on what I said 15 minutes ago. But uh, no, it won't happen. But it very much could and I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Anyone with a, an opinion? Sorry, sorry for being so cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Let's move on. Uh, Neil, Brad Crouch won't find a new home in 2020 after his little indiscretion throughout the week. Uh, it's. I don't like. Yes, it's a. It's a. It's a really disappointing act. Um, and he'll probably have a striker on his name after being caught with, or allegedly caught with illicit drugs um, by mm. the police a couple of days ago. I don't think clubs are that naive to think that a, a vast majority of of their players might be getting into this sort of stuff in their off season. Um, so if you're looking at say, you know, Ge- if Geelong are looking or or Carlton or whoever is needs an inside midfielder as a free agent the most, and have, have been doing all this groundwork through the through the the season to try and maybe shift him loose from Adelaide, I think it'll, they'll you know they'll give him a bit of a talking to and and whatnot. But I, I don't think it'll stop the fact that they they want him and he's a good footballer. Um, so I think that's hyperbole. I think if he was going to leave anyway, I think he'll still find a new home, albeit with you know, a bit of a cloud over his head. Jake, any thoughts on the Brad Crouch situation? As a Carlton fan, would you still take him on? I would. Um, I think, you know, as Neil said, you, you, you're signing him to play football. He's, he, you know, it was made a bit of a mistake, but he's not a player, Brad Crouch, that has been, you know, every year in the news for doing something silly. So uh, I think it's a bit, probably a one-off. Um, give him the benefit of the doubt and and move on. Fair enough. Christian, I don't know if I can ask you, being a champion data uh, employee, but would you take Brad Crouch to the Blues next year? Yeah, I don't don't think it hurts his chances too much. And that's probably just speaking from, yeah, an outsider looking in, it doesn't seem, you know, as Jake said, he hasn't been continuously in trouble. So I think one little, you know, black mark against you now, I don't think it's really uh, hurt if the team wants a good inside mid, they're still going to pay up and get him. 
Fair enough. Uh, Neil, back to you. Ben Brown has been hard done by by North, being asked to find a new home. Yeah, I think they've kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit in terms mm. of you know making it so obvious that they don't want him at the club. I think that'll probably hurt whatever compensation they get back from another club that trades for him. But it's also, yeah, I think he has been hard done by in terms of not not morally or ethically, but you'd like to treat yeah your champion players a little bit better than that, even if you, you want to go in a different direction. And he's been amazing. Yes, he's had a bad year with form and injury this year, but I think he kicked the most goals in the competition across the three years previous. So he's a really good player and he's done really well for them. And he was a great feel-good story for North as well. The fact that they got him as a mature agent from mm. the VFL, you know, he's been extraordinarily consistent until this year. So, yeah, I think he's been hard done by and I hope that he, you know, rebounds wherever he plays footy next year. I hope he, he rebounds and has another couple of good years and, and proves that North might have, yeah, done him done a disservice. So, I, 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 Footy Classified last night, I think Caroline Wilson said something very interesting and it, it, to me it was more spot on. It's not so much North, I think, has, has done him hard. I think his management team really sort of failed to capitalise on three straight years of him kicking 60 goals uh, into last year's off-season. And we were talking. We, I think we did a podcast or we had a roundtable discussion at some point last year saying, should Ben Brown re-sign now for a million dollars a year? Uh, and I think we sort of came to the conclusion that either he was worth a million dollars or he wasn't just quite worth a million dollars a year. Um, but we said that, that, that all efforts should be happening to sign him up now. Uh, and that's more for, that would have been more for his benefit, I guess, than the club's. But... Um, yeah, I just think that was a really missed, a real missed opportunity. And now that he's obviously had such a down year and, and couldn't break into the side at times, it just, look, opportunities have gone begging for him to play and show off his skills. And now he's going to be worth so much less. And I think the disservice has really been done by his management. And Caro got that spot on at Footy Classified. It's I just feel risk. like he's such an... He's been one of the most underappreciated and underrated players the last three or four seasons. And not, you know... He, He's obviously kicked the 60 goals three times, but he's never he's never got the All-Australian blazer. He's never really spoken about in the conversation for the best forwards in the comp. And now he's basically out, out on the outer at North. And it's kind of like... And as Neil said, this isn't a guy that was taken with a number one draft pick. This is a guy that, that, they, that they took out of the VFL. I just feel like he's... But anyone else in that position, you'd be, you'd be throwing him a parade. I, I don't yeah. understand the... <laughs> The why he's so underappreciated, Ben Brown. Agreed. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, let's wrap things up uh, because we've, we're running a bit over time, but make sure you get onto Footy Tips, the app or the website, footytips.com.au, because there is a finals bracket ready to go. Neil, you've had a look at this. Uh, and then basically, just uh, you, got to, you can pick your perfect bracket, which is the winner of each and every final throughout the, the, uh, throughout the final series with a margin. And you can do that on the Footy Tips app or, as I said, on the Footy Tips website. Get, a, get around it. It's good fun. Uh, uh, and challenge anything else? Add, yeah, challenge your mates and see if you can get closest to the pin on that one. Uh, all right. Uh, we will speak to you uh, next week after this first week of finals where we'll look back and, and tell each other how well or not well we've done with these predictions. Uh, but thanks for tuning in and we will speak to you guys all in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.